Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. And um, our technical producer, Justin Kosick, got married over the weekend, uh, I understand. Uh, and so I just have one question. Were there tears? Yes, there were tears. I'm talking about from him, not you. <laughs> How did you know I cried? Did somebody tell you that I had no. to grab a tissue? It's this. Yeah. It's the music, and when the bride walks down the aisle, it's so... What did they walk down the aisle to? Um, I, I don't Levitating? Know. I don't know. Not That was my call. I, 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 I expected the wedding to be heavy on Dua Lipa. Uh-huh. including the ceremony. But. No, it was, it was just a, some orchestra song. It was beautiful, though. And the wedding, you know, they wanted it outside, but the weather you know, determined it was going to be inside. But um, it was just as pretty, and it was just as romantic and special. Mm-hmm. And you know what, Dan? These two are going to make it. Did you, uh, you, you still haven't answered my question. What? Did Justin cry? Yes. <sighs> yes, he did, okay? I don't think so. Uh, he, I think he cried during the mom son dance for sure, because I was keeping my eye on that. That's how uh, the, the, the key is, uh-huh. and, um, this is a lesson for all you out there. Uh-huh. If you, the groom cries during the taking of the vows, then it's not going to go. Okay. It's not going to last. And he, that's what I want to know. Yeah. No, he did not cry during the okay, vows. Okay. All right. Good. But, good. But they exchanged vows at one thirty in the afternoon privately. Before we all got there, so did they? Did they recreate that for the audience? I don't think so. No. Was no. there a mass? No, there was not a mass. It was not. Um, it was at Villa Olivia, and that was a beautiful room. It was in the ski lodge area. Uh huh. Sure, and, familiar um, with it. No, it was not. There was one. Reading. No mass. Mm, I think that also cuts against survival. But okay, all right. At least he didn't cry, or we have no physical evidence that he cried then maybe they got a chance you know his dad Let's mentioned hope. to you during his speech to his son really he said yeah I, good, good. I hope you grow up to be like dan proft i mean other than being married of course no he just said that you know my son justin has worked with radio greats such as dick Biondi, johnny b proft Wow. Yeah, so congratulations. In no particular, in no particular order, no. I presume. Well, no, I definitely second fiddle to Dick Biondi. But uh, uh, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's very nice. Sweet. Thank you, Mr. Kosick. Yeah, I appreciate the you. shout out. Yes. I was uh, mourning the loss of Suzanne Summers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So I, I could not attend. But uh, yeah, 
So a terrible thigh master accident, as I understand, or something uh, along along those lines. But uh, yeah, no, I, I. But sorry. So give us more color on the wedding, since you know some of our listeners were not invited. Well, and it couldn't accommodate everyone. Some some people can't cover their plate like you can. I you need know. Mike Scott to help out about the wedding because Mike Scott and his lovely wife were sorry. at the table with us working. Actually. Oh, you're working? Yes. Oh, okay. Were you bartending? Yes. <laughs> no. We're we're not going to talk about we're not going to talk about the what? lack of appetizers, but you know. Let's oh. talk about it. No. We were oh, so boy, no, not. we were starving because they said well, we had an itinerary and Melissa pulled out the itinerary and said we we're supposed to get appetizers. My wife. From five to six. Right? Wasn't that the yeah. or six to seven? Six to seven. Yeah. And we were when the bar was open when the bar was open. Starving, Dan. Did the bar I, open on time? The important bar question. did open on time. Right, In fact, well, they had they literally had a countdown watch on <laughs> when the bar was. Says going a lot to... about the uh, attendees, doesn't and it? The bar uh, was open for five hours, five and a half hours. That's that's pretty strong. I could I could that's substitute impressive. an extra hour of the bar for appetizers. That would not bother me. Well, I would so, not be offended by that. Um, Eric, Eric, our boss here, one of our technical producer bosses. He and his lovely wife. She went and got out goldfish. Because she's a soccer mom, and so Danielle split, was at a volleyball yeah or volleyball. tournament tournament. Yeah, all so day we long. split. We each split. Oh, uh, so the, so the appetizers were ready, but they didn't have wait staff. No, there was no. no. So I went to do oh. some investigating, Confusion. Dan, and I talked to some of the employees that work there. I said, "Hey, are the appetizers coming?" And she said, "No, there's no appetizers." So no appetizers. No. Then the place went up for grabs like airplane when they found out there was no coffee. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I told Dan, yes. I told uh, Mike. Wasn't there Scott like a flip the table over right now? Wasn't there an Arby's or something low, close by? Well, actually, we, somebody could have run to. Actually, no. There we was thought a, about that. Uh, we thought about it for just a minute. Uh, the, it was at Villa Olivia, which was a fantastic place. Beautiful out in Bartlett. Um, but no, nothing nearby except for a Toyota dealer. That was like it huh. along the road there. So. Nothing close. All right, so so then how how did this end? Just uh, goldfish from Danielle, and and that was what had to hold <laughs> no, people we, over. <clears throat> we uh, I thought about drinking the salad dressing ladle that was on the table. I mean, did did you have you guys not eaten for a week in advance of this? I mean, you, know, really, you couldn't survive an hour without appetizers. I didn't eat prior to the wedding. Never do that again. I'm never, and I normally have bars, fig bars, and power bars in my car. I had nothing. So, um, no, but wow, it was great. A harrowing <laughs> tale of survival. <laughs> Yeah. We made it through. And the food was great. The Once, wedding was great. Yes. Justin did not cry, in my opinion. No, Good. he cried right. cried. The He cried the day before. I'm going with the newsman's re- oh, fine. Re- recounting of this. But yeah. he did cry the day before. Oh, yeah. yeah cry the, the day during, before. During rehearsal. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. did, there was a rehearsal dinner which he cried. Apparently. Did he cry? When did he cry? This is, it's important when this the crying happened. important happens. when. I do not know when. I cannot isolate that. It was divulged to me. Uh, sources close to Justin told, <laughs> yes. so, told me it was there were tears during the rehearsal, but uh, not during the. Event. Was it during a toast? Don't know. I, don't I, know. I do not know. Sources, well, okay. sources were not clear. But Somersault was there. His dog was part of the wedding. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll I love update his you. Family. We'll update you uh, on the Justin crying situation as information becomes available. Yes, Correct. that's true. But yeah. Bethany looked beautiful. His bride, and she's uh, she's so fun. I just think they're going to be a great couple. And, I think that they're going to make it, don't you? Mike? And right, and and again, this was all checked they out. Better. Right, they're both they're both of legal age to marry in the state of Illinois. Yes, they are. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Bethany. Bethany will hold things together very tightly as a as a trained 
counselor. Yes. I think not only that, we should probably bring her in for a little little team meeting. Too. Holding things together very tightly, another reason why Dan Proft is single. I can translate that, Mike. I know what that means. <laughs> ah, yes, holding things together very tightly. It was fun. Uh, and this dancing was fun. I'm sorry from dancing. We had a great time because Quinn was there and his beautiful wife, and she is so fun. And Quinn can dance. Did you know did that? You, did you do your Fred Berry rerun oh, uh, my dance? Thing? No, we did um, that, that dance with a step one. So the right... Uh, that, you know that the electric song? slide. It was kind of it's a, no, it's, it's the one that the uh, the uh, the guy from uh, South Side of Chicago invented. The yeah. hokey pokey. Crisscross, everybody, oh, have yeah. your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. Was it was nice. and, and, and there was a qu- Congo line that you missed out on, Dan. We did we Congo. Oh gosh, and, <laughs> everything uh, you hate. And Quinn got drunk Dan and missed made it. Quinn got drunk and made a made a spectacle of himself. No, Is that what happened? Quinn oh. doesn't drink, but he did make a spectacle. You don't he doesn't drink. No, Quinn doesn't drink at all. He's Irish. Well, <laughs> this just there's a, there's a there's a story there. I'll tell you that right now. There's I don't know what it is, but there's a story there. Longtime barkeep, I think uh, yep. he just gravitated away from it as he served everybody else. I don't know how you. I know. I, I he's like uh, tight with Buddy Guy. I don't know how a guy tight with Buddy Guy living in the club life for as long as he did until we saved him. Um, doesn't have a few pops when the occasion presents itself. No, it's all right. I don't. I don't know if I believe that. It's true. We're not, right. This Again, is not fake news. We will try. We'll attempt to uncover uh, yeah. the uh, the I five sixty investigative team. will find. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I I think there's more to this story. And uh, but I like the I like the Chuck Gowdy like teasing. Yeah. Uh, Mike, very good. Yeah, all right, very good. Just sensational enough. And now he's on his honeymoon for the next week. And where do they go on their honeymoon? Oh. They started in Panama. They left yesterday. And, Panama? Yeah, Panama. And then to an undisclosed location, which I do not know. Um, it's that island off of... Oh, my God. I'm, it starts uh, yeah. with a C. Uh, Michael Jordan graduated in <laughs> with a major in geography. Amy Jacobson did not. <laughs> uh, so the... Carousel. Wait. They're in Carousel. Oh, uh, Carousel. Uh, so... So Panama, are they going to the canal? I, I told them Somebody's to. got to help down there. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's starting, I, to, starting to dry up down there. I've been down there. It's uh, Panama City, and I went to the canal. It's, it's quite, uh, quite breathtaking. It's not nearly as wide as you think. No, it's tiny. I yeah. went there, too. Did you, all right, now, when you went to the Panama Canal, did you watch the seven-minute movie that they had you no. go to before? No. No. Oh. I told no. him to go, and I'm like, if anything, watch that seven-minute uh, movie. I wanted to, to get through, like, the little canal tour so I can get back and see more of the monkeys. <laughs> and also, uh, when I went, I think Noriega was still in prison there, not oh. far away. So I wanted to stop by and see how he was doing as yeah, well. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, very good. Thanks for the update. Uh, now I feel like I attended. Um, uh-huh. But again, importantly, most importantly for Justin, I did attend in the form of a check. Yes, you did. And they are yeah. very appreciative, by the way. Yeah. Well... That's what radio greats like me and Dick Biondi and Johnny B do, Amy. All right, coming up on Chicago's Morning Answer. All right, 538, we need to return to uh, bigger local news than just our marriages on our team here. Uh, Beal and Brandon and other older humans are making a break for the border this week. 
Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. BLM Brandon and some older humans reportedly finally heading to the border this week, you know, to get to root causes. They need to see things for themselves get a handle on the situation at the border first person so they know how to address the situation in Chicago. And again, Chicago, uh, make Chicago a model for the rest of the country in order to strike that delicate balance between welcoming and law and order, which, of course, uh, BLM Brandon is so adept at striking. 312-642-5600, Turnkey Pro answer line, 64636DA, Turnkey Pro text line. But what we really need from BLM Brandon is a pitch, right? We don't want to be considered an unwelcoming city. You know, no. we've heard these reports. Catholic Church of San Antonio tried to encourage the migrants they were flying to Chicago on your dime, federal money, to... Pick other places but Chicago, but hey, we can't force people. So we don't want to be an unwelcoming city. In point of fact, we want to be the most welcoming city. So what is the pitch that BLM branded should make so that more migrants choose Chicago? Because isn't that what we want? Three one two six four two five six zero zero. You could also reach us at six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I mean, I don't know. He and his wife, who's you know, he let everybody know that he's got a black wife and black children. They, I hopefully they figure out the soccer schedules because that's what he said. He's like, I'm different than other mayors. You know, I've got a wife and kids. We have soccer schedules. Give me a break. Um, so part of the pitch, it seems to me, in terms of the expanse of benefits and opportunities is the uh, rental assistance the state is providing, mainly in Chicago, but not limited to it. You know, this is part of the monies that your elected leaders in Springfield, starting with Jelly Belly, but including the full uh, complement of constitutional officers as well as legislative leaders and all the rank and file. You know, the members of the Hamas caucus in the General Assembly, suburbanites like Robin Ventura and uh, Anastava Murray out there in Naperville. Well, they're on this job, too. They're not just uh, you know out there to uh, shame Israel and act as a propaganda arm for Hamas. They're also 
here to provide benefits to make it more attractive for migrants to make their way to Chicago. So this rental assistance, uh, were you aware of this piece of the no, I want to hear about the benefit it. package, and including to you know, including uh, where they're going to be ten cities. Every ward has to come up with a two-acre plot to house migrants. Is it going to be buildings in the loop, uh, rentals, uh, corporate buildings that are retrofitted, ten city in Northern Ireland? What are we doing here? Nobody seems to know, but I know this: the state is funding temporary housing, including rented apartments and homes for migrants. The state is providing up to nine thousand dollars in rental assistance over a six-month period, which includes assistance with moving in and a starter kit to furnish the apartment. Oh, that's so nice. Nine grand, so that's 1500 bucks a month for six months, uh, plus a rental assistance, plus a starter kit to furnish your apartment. Uh, this is what they call welcoming. What adjective would you use to describe something like this, number one, and then part B of the question, what else should BLM Brandon offer migrants to come to Chicago instead of, say, choosing New York? Because New York's got a bit of a lead on us right now, and we need to close that gap. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Nine grand in rental assistance over six months, uh, moving in assistance, starter kit to furnish the apartment. And you see the thinking behind this is people will have started their legal process, secured legal work authorization, and be able to sustain that apartment. So the cost, or I guess the payment toward the landlord, is based on market rate. It's based on the configuration of the uh, apartment, how many rooms, uh, where it's located, all those things. And so it varies from place to place, said uh, Alder Human turned uh, Deputy Mayor uh, Passion Zayas. Deputy Chief of Staff, I should say. Same difference. You got it? Makes sense? Got a text message. Dan and Amy, maybe the migrants can party on Lower Wacker with the rest of the citizens of Chicago. Certainly the fun times Ooh. that uh, the kids making silly decisions are having in Lower Wacker and elsewhere may, may, may make it attractive. It's a fun city. It's Yes, it's welcoming, fun, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not bad. It's never boring. You know, you I, can ma- march with Palestinian protesters on the Mag Mile and then go down and see a you know, a drag race on Lower Wacker all in the same evening. It's wonderful. We're, we're phasing in that um, that that minimum wage requirement uh, for uh, tipped workers, but that's over five years to get to eighteen bucks an hour. So I don't know if that's attractive enough. Um, you know, the uh, un- the employment they're talking about. You know, this gives you six months to get gainfully employed and then self and then be self sustaining. And of course, that's how it's going to happen. Sure, it is. Um, the uh, the make work jobs that BLM Brandon included in his uh, fairy tale document called the city budget for the coming fiscal year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you have? Four thousand money for allegedly for four thousand annualized jobs. The city is somehow going to create, meaning you know patronage jobs, traffic management aides, and the like. Um, how many of those should go? Maybe if you could you could really set those aside for migrants, like you're setting aside housing assistance for migrants, maybe that would make it more attractive because then they can, you know, start not only working and getting a living wage, but you also start to, you know, build up your, your pension benefits, which is important. I'm just trying to think what else could make it, make it more attractive. What do we do to uh, induce people to get the jab? Maybe some 
gift cards, concert yeah. tickets, uh, Uber, uh, free free Uber rides. Six what? Flags. We had free, Six Flags Great America. Amusement parks. Amusement parks. You had the $50 gift card, then the $100 gift cards. That was nice. Yeah. Hmm. We have given them bikes and clothes. They have three meals a day. Uh, the well, nicest I know, of baby carriers for the baby. Well, again, welcoming, but is it welcoming enough? Are we doing enough is my question. Because remember BLM Brandon, when he said he was going to the border, he was going there to tell them, to convince them to come. Whereas Mayor Adams was going there to tell them, no, 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 you're not going to be staying in a five-star hotel. What you've been told is a lie. So they had two completely different agendas. Yeah, it's the same. It's just a little a bit different spin on it. Uh, but the... Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, uh, that's what we want. We want Beale and Brandon to convince people to come. So I'm, I'm just saying, is this enough of an attraction to get as many migrants as we can, as we can get? Which, of course, is the number is is infinity. There is there is no number that is too big. There is no benefit that is too generous. Well, more right? buses came overnight. We have eighteen thousand so far. New York has 132,000, and we're heading toward New York number. I mean, there's no limiting principle here because there's, there's no, oh, the, those who ha, are uh, awaiting an asylum adjudication, asylum application adjudication. No, there's, there's no limiting principle on the benefits. There's no limiting principle uh, according to our electeds uh, as to who may come, from where they come, how many come what they bring, what they want to do. No, there's nothing that limits their imagination when it comes to people coming to this country and, by extension, this city, vying to be the most welcoming. So, I mean, let's get right to it. I don't want to slow walk this. I don't want to lose out to New York. You know what I mean? Dan, a text message. Dan and Amy, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, undocumented. They are seeing doctors and getting services while us citizens wait. Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, definitely front of the line. They get like the Disney speed pass. Definitely front of the line for public services. But I, I just feel like, I just feel like that's not quite enough. Um. So I mean, you know, they get van rides to schools and the doctor's appointments. Mm, I don't think you're right. Yeah, I think he's. I still think you got to sweeten the pot. Those are sort of just the accommodations for everyday living. We don't want them just to exist. We want them to really live. You know what I mean? Um, thirty percent of migrants in Chicago are children. The majority of them are attending Chicago public schools. I, yeah, I, we I needed them. We needed those numbers. We needed those chairs filled. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking these kids should be in private school. <laughs> okay. You know, or definitely selective enrollment. I don't like just this dispersing them among the system writ large because some of the schools, I don't know if you've heard, some of the schools in CPS are subpar. Yeah, um, this just in. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking Peyton. I'm thinking... Uh, Northside Prep, let's go. Let's selective enrollment schools. See how much you really care. We definitely Whitney and Kenwood. I, I'd like to get Supich in here, too, because he's a, he's a big proponent of open borders. So, I mean, get them into Ignatius uh, and some of the, the uh, better Catholics. I mean, send them down to Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. Brother Rice. Loyola. Uh, 
send them up to uh, Loyola. St. Lawrence. Yes, and well, obviously too. I mean, then expand oh. it to Loyola Academy, to Bennett. Uh, you know, all the suburban Catholic schools as well. I mean that that are that have the leadership that is a fully aligned with BLM branded. And by the way, that includes the Joliet Diocese from everything I've seen. So it's not just Supich in the city. It's also the Joliet Diocese. So it's a lot of private Catholic schools. That's a lot of capacity. Lake Forest Academy, you know, a lot of the not the, the, the non-sectarian uh, hoity-toity schools to get them get them involved here. Again, I'm just just trying to... Sweeten you, the pot. I know what you're doing. I, I, I you're want, a great marketing person. Well, and, and again, the welcoming sash is who we are. So I want to wear it proudly and, and, and of course, honestly, with integrity, because if there's one thing that we know about the electeds in Chicagoland and a lot of the, their sort of sycophants in the nonprofit and private sector, they're, they're a, well, they're a, they're a, a bunch that's really consumed with being people of integrity and so I just don't want I don't want to lose that. This is something we need to jealously guard. I, this is our reputation that's at stake here. Linda and Palos Heights are on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. I think we should offer, you know, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Blue Apron, you know, just so that they don't have to go out in, in, in the food desert to try and search out food. Right. Thanks for the call, Linda. Well, again, I mean, they they wouldn't need to be concerned about food deserts if we had them, you know, properly located on the Gold Coast, uh, you know, move some of the people who've had their run of white privilege at the Hancock building and some of these other Tony uh, condo buildings, you know, move them out. You know, they can stay uh, on the near south and west sides and places like that. I mean, you know, you maybe creatively use eminent domain for this public good. Fair compensation, of course. Len in Highland Park. Good morning. Um, the under, unintended brilliance of the Democrats is the fact that all these people are decentralized. So when the Republicans take over the presidency and Congress and the Senate, we can send them all, all back because we know, we'll know where to find them. And uh, I'll let you elaborate on that one. Thanks. Well, thanks for the call, Len. I don't know. I mean, by then, they'll have graduated from Francis Parker. They'll know how to use sex toys. They'll be on their way. You know? Um, then they'll be fully integrated into the culture here. Probably, many of them will probably be elected to, to post, like, I don't know, mayor of Naperville, Hinsdale. They'll probably be running school boards in Downers Grove and Glen Ellen. So, you know, which is which is great. We want to be a, we're not just a welcoming city. We're a welcoming mm-hmm. state. And we got a great text message. Dan and Amy, give them a VIP card to the new Brandon Johnson government run stores. Yeah. Um, the uh, I see a season pass to the Obama golf course that oh, apparently okay. is not going to get built. But in, in the event, it does. Hmm. Just trying to think again. Uh, maybe we could work something out with uh, Joe Perillo for some of those fancy cars. Oh, and speaking of cars, Dan and Amy, special migrant parking. Put it ahead of handicap and senior citizen parking. I like migrant parking. I like that. Yeah, yeah that. I mean, that's the kind of status 
that we're conferring that I think is a value add. I think that's a separator. People, you know, you got your own parking spot or um, parking designation. Uh-huh. Now you know, you know, you're sort of somebody. I like that. Uh, Paul and Carrie. Uh, good morning. Uh, in all seriousness, I am calling on behalf of myself, who I am white, and my white wife and two white children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So what I'm thinking is we Thank need you for identifying a race like BLM Brandon does. Yeah, we appreciate that. No, but of course, but of course. In all seriousness, on the side note, you're talking about eminent domain. Perhaps we could uh, subfinance our all of our Cook County farms and maybe uh, collaring farms since the primary crop is corn and it's not labor-intensive, convert those uh, to lettuce because we're told that's all they do is pick lettuce, we could perhaps uh, uh, facilitate more jobs for these people. Thanks for the call, Paul. George Naperville. How about a scavenger hunt? Who can find the Christopher Columbus statues and they get free food for life? All right, thanks for the call. I, I think we're going to have to sweeten the prizes a little bit. I mean, the free food for life is already built That's in. That's already there. Uh, I would think that, you know, something, the, the sports and cultural offerings that people seem to like so much, uh, so much so that they don't have to pay attention to the disintegration of their city and state. So, But, you know, I mean, I don't know what the market value is for, like, Bears tickets these days. Maybe Hawks. I, I'm prob- maybe, maybe not a lot of hockey fans, but, you know, Connor Bedard's very exciting. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, what's going on at the Lyric? Uh, Tom and Oswego. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, sorry to bring a serious note to this conversation, but I think we really need to figure out what's going on. I'm in the middle class, self-employed. I've got two young boys. Both live in Naperville. One is trying to upgrade to a two-bedroom apartment, can't even get approved for a $300 increase. He's an attorney, Dan. My other son, who's got a master's degree in human resources, getting married this Friday, they're struggling to pay their two-bedroom rent, and they both make decent money. I Every morning I wake up, I'm getting squeezed, and it's getting frustrating. I know I'm bringing the conversation down here, but I'm bringing it real. We better start really understanding what's going on because there's going to be a a flashpoint somewhere and I don't know where or what it's going to look like but people like myself who have to get up on a Monday morning and try to figure out how I'm going to make money today how I'm going to collect money how I'm going to earn money and then I hear this kind of stuff I don't want to turn the radio off because I love listening to you guys but I need to know what's going on yeah, you do. And my my and other pe- kids, they don't even they don't want to watch the TV. Yeah. They don't want to listen to the radio. Right. And, and I'm, I feel bad for that because we well, need to be informed. Absolutely. Thanks for the call, Tom. You know the um, ostrich approach to dealing with this is exactly exactly how, in part, uh, we've gotten to this point. I, I got this text from a friend. This is, you know, speaking of missing the point. Um, St. Lawrence is not aligned with BLM Brandon. They're back the blue school. School's president, Joe Martinez. Parents are retired cops. He gets it. Um, you're missing the point. Who's aligned? Do you think... And who cares who's aligned and who isn't aligned? Um, collectively, there has been a general abdication to Jelly Belly and BLM Brandon and the rest of the political ruling class. Who's aligned? Oh, no, I don't want to participate. Nobody's asking you. 
Haven't you figured that out yet? Now, once you figure that out, then maybe you'll figure out what to do about it. Coming up on Chicago's Morning Answer. At 6.06, uh, Biden says that Israel shouldn't occupy Gaza. And if he stutters, they give... Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. You a pre-warning. morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, turning our attention to uh, Israel with the ground invasion in Gaza. Uh, imminent, it would appear. The lessons uh, that the elites didn't learn. And I'm not just talking about uh, 50 years ago. Or 75 years ago. I'm talking about 10 years ago. Uh, and it's relevant because, of course, 10 years ago, that was the second term of Joe Obama. We're now in the third. The 2014 Gaza War that was also known as Operation Protective Edge. You remember? I think most of the people listening were old enough to remember 2014. I remember, yeah. So this was a military operation launched by Israel that lasted about six weeks in the late summer of 2014 following the kidnapping and murder of three Israeli teenagers in the West Bank by uh, Hamas affiliates. The Israel Defense Forces initiated an operation in which some 350 Palestinians, including nearly all of the active Hamas militants in the West Bank, were arrested. Hamas subsequently fired a greater number of rockets into Israel from Gaza, triggering the six-, seven-week-long conflict between the two sides, one of the uh, deadliest outbreaks in decades, outbreaks of violence in decades until this happened. Yeah, until 10 years later. I mean, this was, the, you know, for all the people who are having scales fall from eyes about the D.C. press corps, about college campuses, the professorate on college campuses, the administrators, the kids. This was a care organized rally for Hamas in Miami in 2014 care organized the council on american islamic relations yeah that uh presents as sort of uh peace loving while they organize days of rage as they did in Miami just to give you one example 
a decade ago. Let's go Hamas, we are jihad. Um, you know uh, who apparently learned a lesson about the Middle East, about Hamas and Hezbollah and Islamofascists over the last, uh, well, 10 years, 50 years, his lifetime? President Trump, former President Trump. And you know what's interesting about that? Um, it's not me saying it. It's not MAGA world saying it. It's Chamath Palapedia on the All In podcast. These are the tech billionaires that podcast that have this podcast that they do collectively. Jason Calacanis and uh, others. Palapedia was ground floor at Facebook, CEO of Social Capital. Let's know what he had to say. Speaking to. Uh, Calcanis uh, on the All In podcast, reflecting on the week that was. As a Democrat who has been left homeless, a lot of the good work, I mean, again, like, man, as a Democrat who has been left homeless, who is now definitely in the center, but probably leaning increasingly right i'm left yet again with an appreciation despite the messenger of the message of the trump administration because what those guys did was pretty incredible in hindsight these abraham accords the accords with israel and the gcc the almost accord between israel and saudi to really be able to like find a long-lasting peace it's just a real example for the world, and you know, those guys did a lot of really good work. And it's it's a miracle, actually, when you when you look at it, what they did. Yeah. You know, despite the fact, listen, I'm no fan of Trump, and I am too a homeless. But this is where. But can I say party, this? But if you but want to objectively is, look at what they did, that was good to. work. It was you great have work. to. You have yeah. to. And in fact, this is a moment where you have to start to re-underwrite. Like, is your not you, Jason, but I'm just saying yeah. collectively, is one's Trump derangement syndrome causing more damage than anything that Trump could have actually done? And I think the answer is yes, because like it's now causing us to not see that good work and then embrace and extend it. So much of the work that happened in that administration turns out to have been right. And that's what's so frustrating for me. The work on the border wall, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. Turned out it was right. Issuing long-term debt to refinance when rates were at zero, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. A structural piece in the Middle East, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. When are we going to stop shooting ourselves in the foot? Wow. Talk about uh, scales falling from eyes. How about those scales from those eyes? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. And by the way, um, world events are conspiring to 
end this primary election, and maybe even the general election. That's a big statement. It's too early, really, to make it seriously. But uh, I'm telling you, when you have that kind of commentary happening, that's really something. And it, regardless of who your horse is in the Republican primary, it just crowds out uh, any potential uh, competitors to Trump because not only is he under persecution by the left, uh, he also has a record that you just can't replicate, you can't compete with that's relevant to world events. I mean, you have that record that's being described by, you know, uh, hey, you know, the, the the typical person of the elite left who says, hey, 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 I can't tell you I like Trump. I, I have my problems with Trump. I don't like him personally, but all the qualifiers. But then Palapidia says uh, what he what you just heard him say. We need to stop shooting ourselves in the foot by killing the messenger when the message is correct. We need to be a little bit more thoughtful. We need to focus on the substance of the policy choice and the potential outcomes. Wow. I mean, who else feels like our world is falling apart? With 30 Americans that are dead, 13 that are still unaccounted for in Israel. And then think of our border being wide open. I mean, last week, Dan, they caught Jordanians. They're on the terrorist watch list. They caught Egyptians. Um, one man from Gaza. I mean, it's... Well, well exactly. And when, and when we had Trump in office, life was better. We well, felt ex- safer. And, 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 and so against this, too. Now, here's the contrast, what? right? Yeah. Um, who has credibility on the topic? Yeah, I know his intemperate comments in the direction of Netanyahu and making it personal and petty. But again, but on the substance, that's just part of who Trump is. It's a character flaw. It'd be better if he didn't do those things, but he does them. But that's sort of what poly, uh, Polypedia is getting to, which is, you know, the Abraham Accords and other examples he gave on, on the substance of the matter. You may not like the personality. You may not like the rhetorical approach. Um, but on the substance of the matter relative to what the other options are, do you want the current option? I mean, my God, did you see and that? So, and so and so hold on a second. And so the contrast who has credibility? The reaction to Trump from these uh, tech billionaires compared to the reaction from the Hoi Polloi. What was your reaction when you heard this from FBI Director Chris Ray over the weekend? We remain committed to continue confronting those threats, both here in the United States and overseas. In this heightened environment. There's no question we're seeing an increase in reported threats, and we've got to be on the lookout, especially for lone actors who may take inspiration from recent events to commit violence of their own. So I'd encourage you to stay vigilant because as the first line of defense protecting our communities, you're often the first to see the signs that someone may be mobilizing to violence. I'd also ask you to continue sharing any intelligence or observations you may have. And on our end, we're committed to doing the same so that together we can safeguard our communities. Yeah. I mean, do you believe Chris Ray with this warning about lone uh, actors that could copycat uh, Hamas's brutalities on American soil against Americans and others? Who, who believes Christopher Ray? Uh, it's hard take, to after what he just put us through. Right. You're going to take time out of your busy schedule, Director Ray, of uh, tracking Catholics who attend Latin Mass and and uh, and 
people dodging questions about January 6th and uh, and doing uh, SEAL Team 6 raids on uh, peaceful pro-life pastors in rural Pennsylvania to actually focus on terrorist threats when 2 million people have been apprehended trying to come over and 99% of them have uh, escaped uh, into this country and all the, the numbers of individuals that have been documented on the terrorist watch list who the federal government doesn't know where they are but they know they're in this country because again because of the poorest not poorest because of the open border now it's all of a sudden he's serious and the G-men are on the job and they're guarding the tower and so on and so forth I don't believe that. I don't. I have zero trust in Christopher Ray and the FBI. Not Three, under this president. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. What also didn't make me feel safe or proud of our president before the inter- interview that they, he did on sixty minutes. Scott Pelley said this, the president's going to be 81 years old next month, and when he's tired, his lifelong stutter can creep back in. You know that that was part, that was contingent on getting that interview or not. I mean, now we have a a feeble old man. I mean, they're just saying it, and that if he stutters, this is why, because he's tired. That's the least of the problems. That's the least of the problems with the uh, political establishment in D.C., the least of it is this whether Biden's tired and whether his uh, synapses are firing and so on and so forth. I don't want him. In we're we're, we're talking. Uh, yeah, well, I get it. But let, let's focus on what the main thing is. And the main thing is their policy perspective. This is what Palapidia is getting to. Yeah. And by the way, I hope all of the sort of uh, reflexively anti-Trump uh, center right donor class. Here's the all in podcast with all those tech billionaires who are just as uh, desirous of social status as the center right. So much of the establishment center right GOP donor class. Uh, If those tech billionaires who are leftists from Silicon Valley, if they get it, what are you missing? Dave in Bristol, Wisconsin. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, I'm a truck driver uh, from Wisconsin, was just at the border in El Indio, Texas, um, was driving along the I-10 as I come around the curve uh, on two occasions. Groups of like 20 men, 20 people just walking down the shoulder. Uh, there's border patrol everywhere, but it's, it's really flooded, just FYI. Um, also, very refreshing to hear that stance uh, on the podcast. And this is what has got me shaking my head for so many years, is that the meme that's going around is that they're coming for you, I'm just in the way, is so true. Because when the powers that be and the people that are making these policies are against all the citizens of Illinois and Wisconsin and across the country, you're not protected because of your virtue and uh, how good you want to do. When the system comes for us, the general population, you are included in that. So do not discount the policies and the common sense standpoints that Trump stood for. Thanks for the call, Dave. And and again, uh, this is not to exclude others who are also, quote unquote, standing in the way. I think Ron DeSantis is somebody who stands in the way of this rapacious political class, too, and what Dave, the truck driver, is describing. But I mean, just Trump is just uniquely positioned because of having served and having served during this tumultuous time and having accomplished what he accomplished. 
I mean, there's just there's just no way to avert your eyes from what occurred. And a president gets credit for what occurs on, under his watch and occasionally is held accountable for what occurs under his watch as well. I mean, that's just how it is. So you can uh, curse the way it is all you want. You still have to confront the reality. And again, one off Christopher Ray. I just got to focus on Christopher. Ray. This idea, you know, one off lone wolves. It's always one off lone wolves. It's never organized. Right. It's not Hamas and Hezbollah orchestrated. It's just sort of inspired and it's just radicalization online. That certainly happens. We've seen many instances of it. But with a completely open border. They wouldn't take the opportunity no, they're not. to orchestrate. Uh, I mean, listen to what you're hearing. You heard the day of rage a decade ago. What are you hearing this weekend in Chicago and thousands protesting for uh, Palestine and essentially uh, supporting Hamas in New York? And you, well, you un- no, listen to what happened in Chicago. I mean, well, they sh- well, do, do you understand what that phrase means? First? Right. From the river to. The, yes. Because our housing director uh, that Brandon Johnson appointed said the same thing last week in Chicago. Yeah. But do you understand the implication of it? People need to understand the implication of that chant, that Hamas inspired chant to wipe out all of Israel's all of the Jewish people to take over from the Jordan river. to the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Um, no fragmented. Uh, Palestinian state exactly that um, this is you know you can say as Margaret Brennan did on face the nation all you want the PLO's position is that Israel has a right to exist that is bull jive yeah they are Hamas apologists and frankly and this is the hard discussion when you get into uh, collateral damage in Gaza of Palestinian uh, men and women and children who are not part of Hamas, right, but you have wild popular support oh. for Hamas. Yeah, and here in Chicago when they took over Michigan Avenue, shut down traffic, tourists were running off the mag mile. Where's the outcry? Entire families have been wiped out! Dozens of bodies under the rubble! The Palestinian community is a community of love. The Palestinian community is a community of peace. Justice is our demand! And that's pulled over from the city council meeting into the streets. And, um, you know, Chicago police did a good job as as well they could. But it was crazy here Friday night. That that raging does not inspire confidence in the professions of peace, does it? Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Cheryl Atkinson, investigative reporter, formerly with the uh, big boys, mainstream, CBS. Then she went on on her own, and she does this full measure program. We've had her on the program uh, many times before. She does good investigative journalism, lost art. She uh, has taken up as her cover story in the most recent edition of Full Measure, January 6th. And she pulled in uh, two 
former federal law enforcement whistleblowers. John Dotson, who is an ATF agent who blew the whistle on the Fast and Furious program. Remember that under uh, Joe Obama terms one and two with Eric Holder funneling guns to Mexican drug cartels? Oh, yeah. yeah, John Dotson, and by the way, resulting in the death of an ATF agent, the murder of an ATF agent. Uh, John Dotson was the whistleblower on that. Stephen Friend is a former FBI agent who was a whistleblower on the January 6th raids, January 6th related raids. Uh, didn't want to do that, thought it thought some of what was being tasked, he was tasked to do, thought it was over the top. So she brought them together to analyze some video that has received some fresh eyes. And she asked others, other federal law enforcement to look at the video and comment on it, too, you know, through from their position as experts in terms of what they're seeing and what a law enforcement response should be to a crowd that has become unruly and violent in some respects, as well as against the backdrop of the questions that have been asked for, well, the better part of uh, two and a half years now without answer. Where are their federal assets uh, on the ground in D.C.? Uh, how many? Nobody knows. And certainly nobody at the FBI. That's Christopher Ray's testimony. Can't talk about it, don't know, no idea. You heard from Stephen Sun, thanks to Tucker Carlson's interview of the Capitol Police Chief at the time, how unusual the interaction between Capitol Police and federal law enforcement was in the run-up to January 6th. Uh, John Dotson and Stephen Friend. What they looked at in this report that Atkinson did is a pattern of law enforcement not separating instigators from the crowds. In other words, people that were uh, exhorting others to be unruly, to be unlawful, to be violent. Three instances, really uh, good reporting. It's worth checking out. I just tweeted out her her full report, but the highlights. Uh, John Dotson's characterization In the first scenario, the man in the knit cap and blue jacket with his back to us appears and engages an officer. I think it's odd the way that either he feels comfortable enough or the officer feels comfortable enough to allow him to come in so close and and almost whisper to him or talk quietly. You're holding a line, like that's your job while you're there. So you you maintain a distance of safety, a uh, reactionary distance where in case things get bad instantly you can do that but it looks like that's vacated here a supervisor tells police and the knit cap man to hold seconds later a man dressed as a trump supporter with a beard and flag we'll call him santa claus appears from behind the police line with an apparent escort the escort goes on to join the police line wondering where the individual came from that came from behind their line and to just for him to have free reign standing along behind them um, and the other individual that escorted him there just kind of disappeared forward of the line so it's it's strange why if you're holding off a, uh, a section of a building or, or any area for a protest or anything like that that you you allow people to mingle around behind you it's and not even even if they somehow manage to get there, once you notice that they're there, you should immediately place them on the other side of the line. 
Santa Claus blends into the scene by joining Knitcap Man engaging the officer. Within seconds, the two men push past police and lead the crowd through. Uh, so Knitcap Man and Santa Claus Man, that's uh, example number one, pivotal moment number one, Cheryl Atkinson terms it pattern of not separating instigators from the crowds and then when you see Nitcat man and santa claus man just push through police and lead the crowd down the hall it is without resistance from law enforcement that is otherwise set up seemingly to hold the line and not allow people to pass inside the capitol so why who who are they pivotal moment number two thin hair man meets earmuff hat man Way to describe, you know, you've got your... I know, we uh, got the Nick Cap man, we got the Santa Claus man, and now we have thin-haired. Yeah. I'm writing this down. Well, I mean, you you know, you keep... It's easier to, especially when you watch the video, it's easier right. to identify them and track it that way than it is to try to remember names, just like the QAnon shaman. You don't remember his name, but no, you remember the image, right? And the outfit, and people dress up like him for Halloween, yes. So Nick Cap man and Santa Claus man, that's moment one. Moment two, thin hair man meets earmuff hat man. This man with thinning hair works his way to the front of the crowd, and along with the man in the red cap, they aggressively beckon authorities and confer with them. Thin hair man is allowed behind the police line, where he has extensive discussions with the Capitol Sergeant at Arms law enforcement official in the dark suit. That official leaves the conversation and appears to give instructions to two people who scurry down the hall. Two minutes later, another instigator is about to appear, again from behind police lines. You can't see him yet, but you'll see him in a moment. He appears to be escorted by that sergeant-at-arms official here. And also by police, who instead of arresting him, guide him toward the crowd. He's wearing an earmuff hat. But see, he's almost like overacting. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah, where does he come from and why does he walk through? And if he's already, you know, breached one significant area or a control area that you have control over, why isn't he arrested and immediately removed from the scene then? Earmuff man, you're seeing the back of his head here calmly confers multiple times with an officer who points directionally. There's more chatting with the officer, and then Earmuff Man suddenly changes demeanor, starts acting out again, and is allowed to join the protesters in a lead position. Uh, there just was some basic safety protocols that were not being followed, and that is escorting individuals who you perceive to be potentially violent agitators and allowing them to go through your ranks and stand behind you when you're not able to keep eyes on them unsecured it's allowing those individuals to those agitators to lead the group almost like a Pied Piper style uh, through the Capitol those are all problems that could be easily rectified by taking that person out of the equation removing them arresting them it's just very unusual that he's sort of allowed back from behind the lines and then when he is pushed to the group and they sort of put him in the lead position which is unusual uh that was Stephen friend the fbi informant uh, 
providing commentary on the unusual law enforcement response to these people being escorted in. Sergeant at Arms in the Capitol, too. One of the great unanswered questions is what was communicated from federal law enforcement to the sergeants at arms for both chambers? What did they communicate to Pelosi and McConnell, respectively? We still don't know, shockingly, that J6 Star Chamber proceeding uh, didn't seem too interested in getting the answers to those questions. So all this interaction, you know, the performative, uh, you know, rallying the uh, those inside the Capitol agitating and you can hear him, you know, yelling and making a spectacle of himself. And then all of a sudden he's calmly talking to law enforcement. And then all of a sudden he's leading the crowd past law enforcement. Unusual, to say the least. And then all three, all three of these individuals, thin hair man, earmuff hat man and knit cap man. Lead a march toward the uh, chamber where the vote certification is to happen. In a matter of just a couple of minutes, these key figures who'd all once been allowed on the police side of the line are about to break through the police line together and lead the crowd further toward the speaker's lobby where Congress is meeting to certify the 2020 election results. There's the gray-haired man. He's first. That's thin hair man. You're not helping, you're not helping. Uh, you're going to get me hurt and other people. It's, it's not. It's, and it's, earmuff it's, man. It's the Epstein! It's the Epstein! The first thing you got to do is you got to get rid of the troublemakers. I didn't see key provocateurs removed from the crowd. In fact, the key provocateurs in this case seem to be sort of tolerated, if not encouraged, by some of the police officers on the front line. They were, they were definitely tolerated. And so maybe it's just a matter of incompetence, or maybe it's some combination of the two. We don't know, but at least Cheryl Atkinson is providing the evidence to prompt the proper questions, the proper why questions. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also reach us all morning long on our text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. So then they lead the way to the speaker's lobby. Well, if in case your memory's hazy, the speaker's lobby is where the Ashley Babbitt shooting occurred. And uh, ear hat, earmuff hat man was before that door in front of police just before that occurred. Minutes after Earmuff Man first appeared on the video from behind the police line and blended in with the crowd, he's the key instigator outside a hallway called the Speaker's Lobby. Notice the officer doesn't react or pull away when Earmuff Man grabs him by the hand. A police team in riot gear arrives here nearby off camera and three officers guarding the Speaker's Lobby suddenly walk off. And immediately they all walk away. I'd love to know why or who gave the order for them to abandon that post. Everything seemed calm. They had it under control. They were holding their line and then they they forfeited. I don't know why. Earmuff man removes his hat and mask and takes the lead, beating on the glass with a helmet 
as police and the sergeant at arms official watch. The gun of Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd can be seen. He fires, killing an unarmed protester named Ashley Babbitt as she climbs through a broken window. Earmuff Man immediately runs behind the line of police and riot gear who are watching, positioned on a staircase just steps away, and they let him in. Though he was a violent leader just moments before, he can be seen speaking with and touching officers who then allow him to crouch and dig through his backpack as they turn their backs to him. Yeah, and that's an emergency response team. So they're, they're not there to negotiate with you. They're there to put you on the ground. But they're letting him back. If you look down there now, so he's changing his shirt. He's getting things or putting things in his bag. So in police training, would you ever let a demonstrator after a shooting come behind your line and turn your back on him? Dig through his backpack? No. He's going to be controlled. First of all, if he's behind the line, it's because we want him there. And then he's going to have somebody with him. He's going to have somebody probably on top of him. Um, if he were a demonstrator. Right, yeah, literally. If I need to talk to him, hold on to him, and we pass him to the back, then they're holding on to him very uh, very securely until it's over with and we're done talking to what him. What does this scene say to you? I, he obviously has free range to do. Now, I understand it's a very dynamic situation. There's a lot going on, but for all these um, you know, emergency response team or rapid reaction team to just <laughs> keep passing him back to no one and allow him to go digging through that bag in the stairwell, it's it's... It raises a lot of questions. Yeah, I'd say. I mean, if if this was an unknown entity, you just had someone shot and you see one of the leaders of this pounding on the doors, one of the leaders of the mob action uh, digging through his backpack and your law enforcement or just somebody with common sense. What are you thinking? Was this guy getting a gun to respond? And yet instead, what you see from the video is exactly what they described, what Atkinson described, what they're commenting on, which is uh, there. The law enforcement is holding them off. He's behind the crowd off. He's behind them. Changing his shirt. Why is he changing his shirt uh, behind them? And they're paying no mind to him digging through his backpack in a situation like that where a woman has just been shot. That makes sense to you. Is that a legitimate question to ask? What's exactly going on here? What's the relationship? 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanswerline. Now, this becomes a little bit more complicated. Go where the facts lead. Because after a bit of a hue and cry, Earmuff Hatman was arrested. And the Department of Justice uh, sent out this press release about his arrest and the charges filed against earmuff hat man and now he's i think he's facing a sentencing on 10 on conviction on 10 separate charges but it but it wasn't until there was pressure put and by the way the press release and this is all documented in atkinson's piece the press release sort of mischaracterizes what went down what you'll read in that doj press release is not what you see in this video that you've just heard summarized by atkinson and commented on by these former federal law enforcement officials. And as to the others, no charges, at least that were uh, documented in the piece. Uh, Stephen Friend, the FBI whistleblower, uh, summarizing 
this, you know, what we've seen here and what you've just heard? Could they have been an informant? Perhaps. Could they have been an undercover? You never know. I don't think that this is a perfect puzzle where all the pieces go together. I do think, though, that there were some just blatant uh, behaviors that day that were not normal. They were very unnatural that necessitate a full, transparent, and open investigation by the individuals that are positioned to do that in government and by individuals such as yourself in media who should have access to that footage so that they can present it to the American people. Yeah. These are legitimate questions that we deserve answers to, like credible answers to. What uh, Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sun had to say in his interview with Tucker Carlson and before Congress more recently, as well as what uh, the questions that Cheryl Atkinson and these former federal law enforcement officials are raising, not conspiracy theorizing. This is what we see. This is what we know from professionals the response would normally be this is what common sense tells us laymen who are not law enforcement and we get from christopher ray stonewalling got a text message dan and amy hey earmuff hat man do you know ray epps yeah right mm-hmm. frank and lamont quickly frank thanks for the hey call. how are you dan good morning amy yeah something is very wrong here i've served in law enforcement over 30 years and have been to thousands of protests. And this definitely, definitely needs to be, you know, the, the stuff of 9-11 hearings. There's something either very, very wrong with the training at the Capitol Police. And I find that kind of hard to believe uh, because this is not their first rodeo. Or there's something much more insidious. Uh, you do get intel people uh, who will work inside and it is hard to keep track of them. Here in Chicago, you'd have the state, the FBI, Cook County, and CPD tripping all over each other with plainclothes intelligence people. But for the U.S. Capitol Police to play this game with the FBI that nobody knows what the left hand and the right hand is doing, no, this is insidious, Dan. Thanks for the call, Frank. Appreciate that perspective. All right, coming up on Chicago's Morning Answer. We'll talk about uh, the Speaker's race uh, in the House and uh, other such matters with a congressional candidate, former State Senator Darren Bailey. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Yeah, one uh, follow-up remark to the conversation we had uh, earlier in the program about this uh, state-level program that, of course, disproportionately uh, impacts the city, but everybody's paying for it. The $9,000 in rental assistance to migrants, $9,000 for over six-month period, which includes assistance with moving in and a starter kit to furnish the apartment in addition to all of the other benefits, including um, uh, migrants, uh, the children of migrants who are attending uh, government schools. Particularly in that latter point, um, just remember this against the backdrop of the elimination of the tax credit scholarship program Mm -hmm. at the hands of Governor Jellybelly and the Democrat socialists in charge of the state and the city. So... That was explained as it's uh, negatively impacting the funding of our government schools. So uh, American citizens and Chicago and Illinois residents 
that are low to medium income, they don't get access to schools that people with more money do. But migrants, uh, many of whom are in this country illegally, their children get to go to the same schools as their kids, the, you know, the legal residents, the American citizens, at their expense, at the expense of those same people denied opportunity scholarships for their kids. Does that make sense to you? I'm paying for somebody who is in this country illegally to send their kids to the schools that my kids are compelled to go to in Chicago, for example, based on my address and my income. And then the state comes in and provides more money from me to them for rental assistance and uh, starter kits to furnish their apartments. But benefits for me? To level the playing field in terms of access to educational opportunity? No, no. That's too expensive. That's the philosophy of your ruling class in this state. So if somebody can wrap their mind around that and explain the logic of it to me, boy, I'd love to hear it. For more on uh, this, the uh, border security issue, and other matters. We're pleased to be joined by former State Senator Darren Bailey, former Republican gubernatorial candidate last year against Pritzker, of course. He's now a GOP congressional candidate challenging Mike Bost in the Republican primary down in southern Illinois. Darren Bailey, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning. It's glad to be back with you. Thank you. So um, what about uh, your posture on the situation at the border and as it relates to Illinois now with the uh, migrants uh, migrating to Chicagoland and throughout the state, of course, because Illinois is a sanctuary state? Um, What's your posture on that and how does it differentiate in a meaningful way Mike Boss posture? Well, my posture on it is it's about to get real. Uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, uh, Pritzker and Johnson finally demand that the wall be, you know, uh, 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 continued and fill in the gaps. I, I think that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, these illegal illegals are going to be distributed in small towns all over the state. There's there's whispers of that happening right now, and essentially, uh, my. The difference uh, between me and my opponent, and it's interesting, just last night at the, in, in Washington County, uh, of course, I spoke first, and he got to speak after, and, and he told the crowd that for the life of him, he can't figure out why I'm running against him. And the reality and the truth of all the problems that we have in the state of Illinois stem from failure of Republicans standing on moral the moral and the financial high ground republicans sell themselves out every time to get their names on a their names on a bill they sell themselves out they compromise he you know they they believe that uh, you know hey i got to give and i've got to take i think americans i think illinoisans are ready for true leadership I spent 2 years trying to get people you know out to vote and and we could have won we should have won and it seems like every argument now every argument that we posed against J.B. Pritzker is now coming true, and he's backpedaling, and 
and uh, it, it's such a shame. Well, how is Congressman, wait, how is Congressman, Congressman Boss failing Republicans in Illinois? Explain that. Well, I love that, and I, I we've got access to a, a conservative review. We've got access to Heritage Foundation, CPAC, Turning Points. These are conservative scorecards, and and if you'll do exactly what I did, when, when Cindy and I got back, we soaked up the grandkids, and I went back to the farm for a while, and we just had this yearning pulling at our heart that just, just our work wasn't done, and things are still, we don't, we don't have that leadership is what I found out. And so, so I simply started looking up some of these conservative uh, scorecards, Conservative Review and Heritage Foundation. If you'll look those up, you'll see someone that's got an F- minus who's been compromising our values. You will see bill by bill for the last eight years years or nine years now uh, that he's been voting. It's interesting. He's got a 100% scorecard uh, th- uh, this year since he's had a primary. He's, he, he upped his game to about 80% when Mary Miller got involved. But prior to that, we're talking Adam Kinzinger class. We're talking uh, you know, 20 or 30% of the time is all that he was voting on our conservative values. And, and, if, and, and, and down here, you know, it's that's our problem here in Illinois. We, we listen to grand speeches. We pat people on the back and elect them and tell them to go get them. And then we fail to follow up with them, encourage them in the good times, and hold them accountable in the bad times. And, and uh, my congressman down here has had way more bad times than he's had good times, and I'm going to hold him to account to that. Well, what specifically re- with respect to border security? Is there daylight between the two of you? Well, the simple fact that uh, he really refuses. Where, where is the fight? Dan, with with our you know with with him, where is the fight in Congress to stand up and demand demand that this demand that we actually do something? I think if Republicans would have been keeping this hot on the front press and, and messaging, then all of a sudden now that even even governors like J B Pritzker are standing up and 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 asking Biden for something to be done. I think we would be better prepared. You know, we've went nine months, went nine months so far this year. And, and, and what has been accomplished in a Republican-controlled House? Where is the message? And here we sat. We have, they, they took the whole month of, uh, of August off. Uh, where are we right now? We have no budget. We have no ag bill. We, we have absolutely nothing. And now they want to blame, you know, the, uh, a few people on, the, on this chaos of, of not having a leader. We don't have a leader because we don't have leadership. And, well, and I, I think that if Republicans, go ahead. Yeah, on, on specifics, I mean, uh, I understand from Jeannie Ives that uh, Illinois, the budget this year has about $400 million in rental assistance. I, I guess most of that's going to go to people in this country illegally. It's um, rather breathtaking. In addition to that, we know from, say, for example, the Catholic Charities in San Antonio that they're using federal funds to fly migrants from the border to Chicago and elsewhere. I mean, as a member of Congress, will you... Uh, move to uh, to 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 press the House Republican Caucus, particularly if you're in the majority, to eliminate federal support for states that are using federal dollars for uh, supporting people, either moving them around or providing them rental assistance or anything else. People in this country illegally. Absolutely, and I and that's the messaging. Whether it's our education, whether it's whether it's abortion access, it's all of this federal money that's being pumped in here and just given there has got to be reckoning and accountability with this money and and we just it's it, everything seems to be on autopilot states get what they get they do with whatever they want to and now we see this disaster taking place uh, whether it's with these illegals whether it's with education whatever it is 
it's not working. And, and the people don't realize that because they're not being educated. And I think that if you look at my last four years and my, my run for governor, I think that's what you see. I think that's why uh, I, I've been blessed to be able to do what I've done, because as I have learned, I have educated. And the people, the people have become empowered and the people are frustrated. So the people need to know that here's the plan. Here's some answers. Here's what can be done. And without that, we just we we're just floundering in an ocean without a rudder or a sail, and and that's the biggest difference right there uh, between uh, uh, my opponent and myself. That, we're also uh, we're also we're also floundering right now without a House Speaker, and I wonder what right. your view is on uh, who that person should be, and whether or not it was judicious for Matt Gates and a few others to put the House Republican Caucus in this position. Well, I personally think so because I go back again for nine months. If there's one thing, one thing, whether it's whether it's here in Illinois at the state level or whether it's a national level, one thing that they do the same thing every year, it is to prepare a budget. And instead, uh, nine months went by, the month of August, we everybody went on vacation, and now we've they had six weeks to finish everything, so... Uh, so, yeah, I think there was a problem there, and I think it needed called out. And I think it's a shame that with a Republican minority that we can't find a leader. I think that's a shame, and I think that speaks uh, to the brokenness of the Republican Party. So I wholeheartedly support uh, Jim Jordan. Uh, I know there's question whether or not he can uh, uh, reach that. I, I, uh, I, I pray he does. But I think the Republican Party not only in the state of Illinois, but across this nation, has got some work to do. We've got to get our act together. Uh, that is the root of why we are facing all of these problems. Uh, and with respect to uh, a range of other issues, including um, support for uh, assistance to Ukraine, uh, continued military aid to, uh, military and other aid, and we're basically running a PPP program in Kiev right now, um, general aid to Ukraine, military and otherwise, general aid to Israel, well, in that case, specific, specifically military. Um, d- d- give us your viewpoint on Ukraine and Israel and whether or not they're parallel case studies and our response should be similar or there are points of differentiation that need to be understood well first of all i'm will always stand resolute against a blank check being written i think there's a lot of uh, you know in the early days when uh, when russia invaded the ukraine it was it was obvious you know we we, we needed to step in and, and do something but but here we are uh, all this time has passed and and just continued blank checks have been written at the peril of, of our nation. You know, the question is, where is our military readiness? Have we, you take Afghanistan, you take that pullout and all the equipment that was lost, you take the money and equipment that was sent to Ukraine, you take, uh, you know, the missiles and the money that we're sending to Israel right now. Uh, where does that put us at? Where does that put the greatest nation on the face of this earth at? I don't think anyone knows that answer. And I think when that answer comes up, I think we're going to be, uh, You know, does that have anything to do with this week-long saga that's drawn out, you know, before Israel, you know, has uh, has hammered back on Hamas? I don't know, but I think we have some serious problems here at home. And, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, I I personally, I do see a differentiation between uh, uh, Israel. I think we must have Israel's back uh, regardless, is where Israel is the, is the kingpin to the Middle East. Biblically, 
and uh, and strategically, uh, Israel must be. They are our staunch allies. They must be protected. And and I think we've got to get answers as to what's going on in Ukraine with the with their leader, with where the money went, with what's taking place daily. And uh, I don't see any of that being uh, demanded. Well, in regards to Israel, do you think President Biden is doing the right things? Well, verbally he is. It appears to be that he's, uh, you know, again, I, I, I am very concerned about our military readiness, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm concerned as to the part that that plays in this delay that's taking place and, and, and possibly our response of, uh, Joe Biden does what he always does. He's he's talking, but uh, we'll see when the action comes. Uh, what about uh, American troops as it pertains to Israel? We have uh, more than two dozen Americans who were killed in the uh, Hamas attack. We've got others missing. So that distinguishes it from the situation in Ukraine as well. Uh, is that something that you're open-minded to, uh, deploying American troops, authorizing, if there were a move to authorize the deployment of American troops in Israel? Would you support that? Well, I do believe that uh, you know we must protect Israel at all costs. I am I'm glad that Israel has said they don't want you know that intervention right now, and I think in the days ahead we have really got to begin to focus on an America First agenda where we stop, we close our borders, and we protect, and we get strong and healthy again here in this nation because. Uh, that is another reason why I'm running for Congress, because I am very, I am gravely concerned that uh, this nation financially, uh, we already know morally that we are depleted, we are bankrupt. So, so what is you know I, are are the days of a of a of, of you know this great nation stepping up and doing what we did in, in World War One and World War Two? Could we even do that again? And and I'm reading a lot of reports and hearing a lot of conversations that uh, that that answer may be. No, we can't even we can't even find enough people to work, you know, to to keep business going as usual. And and I'm very concerned about where we are at right now. But, yes, I think that uh, I think Israel must be uh, supported as to what they need. They're not asking for that. And I think we have got to spend these next several years uh, strengthening ourselves right here at home and closing that doggone border and stopping this nonsense of these people coming across here illegally. But with respect to Americans, particularly Americans that are missing or um, holding people to account that are responsible for American deaths, uh, should that be something where we wait to get the high sign for Israel or should we make an independent decision about that? Well, I think it's obvious. I think Israel's doing everything that they can do. And I think that until we get uh, a better handle, which, <laughs> like I said again, Dan, this is a little different and awkward than I think anything that we've been involved in before because – um, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of information. That it, just listening to the news cycle, we're hearing the same thing over and over uh, for the for the past uh, for the past week. And and just as far as I've noticed, just recently in the last two days, has there been a hotline for for fa- for people that may be trapped in Israel or for for families? I, I've had families reaching out to me. Just asking, what can I do to help get them in touch with with someone because they have relatives and and uh, friends there that they haven't heard from. So that tells me that there is a, quite a bit of dysfunction uh, taking place because they have been, you know, calling in to uh, state agencies and they're not getting any answers. 
He is former State Senator Darren Bailey, former GOP gubernatorial nominee last year, you'll recall, ran against Pritzker, now running for Congress in the Republican primary against Mike Bost in Southern Illinois. Darren Bailey, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, You may not have been familiar with uh, the man they call pro-life Spider-Man until last week when he scaled the 600-foot-tall Accenture Tower in Chicago without a rope or any safety equipment. Uh, yeah, I saw it happening online, and I, I'm afraid of heights, so I, I could barely look. Mm, all right. It's too well, much. I guess you won't be accompanying him on his next gambit. But, no. Uh, yeah, he was arrested after reaching the top, as has happened before when he scaled tall buildings, um, because that's frowned upon by law enforcement. Uh, so why does he do it? Uh, well... Let's get perspective on his climbing prowess and the rationale of choosing buildings, tall buildings in big cities, as he's done. Mason Deshaw joins us now, pro-life Spider-Man. Mason Deshaw, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Dan. So, um, you know, talk about your climbing first before we get into sort of the politics and cultural piece. Uh, so, um, you like, are, you know, I, I love these documentaries on free climbers, like the guy who climbed uh, El Capitan. What, what's your what's your background in climbing? Your affinity for that? Yeah, I grew up in Michigan, but when I was sixteen, the whole family moved out to California, and we had to find something else to do other than hunting and fishing because there's not a lot of that in L.A. So my dad <laughs> bought me a rope and a harness and. Next thing you know, I'm climbing with guys like uh, Alex Honnold. And, uh, actually, I've never climbed with Alex, but of course, he's a good friend. And uh, yeah, and next thing you know, you, you just run with it. Sure. Um, and so, 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 how did you transition from you know the uh, bucolic settings of mountains and the uh, climbing community to um, the more uh, insular climbing community in urban centers? Yeah, so that's a funny story, but I was sitting on my phone one day, scrolling on Instagram, and I seen this photo, and it was a photo of a baby. She should have had a a bow on her head, but instead she sat in a Ziploc container. She was dead with a crushed skull and one eye left open, and I looked this baby in the eye, and I felt as though if I didn't do something to stop this evil, because here's this baby who's just murdered laying in a ziploc container like she's takeout food if if i didn't do something to stop this murder this abortion then i felt like honestly what what kind of man am i and so i came up with this idea it kind of adapted what alain robert was doing back in the 90s he had climbed the uh, new york times building to protest climate change and hung up all these banners all over the building. And I, I said, what if instead of doing this for climate change, we do this to raise awareness about uh, what's going on in America with abortion and raise money for women in crisis pregnancy? So I raised money for an organization called LetThemLive.org. 
And every time we climb a skyscraper, we save a baby from abortion. We help her mother with their mother with the rent, the medical bills, all of the expenses that she needs so that she doesn't need to get an abortion because it's like uh, 73% of abortions happen because of financial circumstances. Say your car breaks down, you have a $1,000 payment, how are you going to drive your kids around? So we help these women, we save their children, and it all ends up uh, working out in the end, very, very thankfully. So when so, you climb the building, well, sorry, when you climbed the building the other day, I didn't, because I watched the news coverage and never knew that you were doing this to help raise money to stop abortions. How can you get your message across better? Or do you just think that the mainstream media doesn't want to hear well, why you're doing it? Uh, well, so normally it's just flooded with interviews and I can't get my message across. I've been on Tucker Carlson. I've been on a, a lot of mainstream conservative news sites and I'm able to share that around as well as on Instagram. Like if you go on my Instagram, I'm sharing victim imagery. People are able to see my little infographics that I've created that's talking about the pro-life history. Uh, this time around, basically what had happened was the Friday before the climb, uh, I got news about what had happened in Israel. And your initial reaction is, oh, gosh, like pray for these people. Uh, but what I do is so dependent on the news cycle that it had kind of killed all of the um, all of the news for the climb. But that said, the reason why I didn't delay it was because this woman that we were helping, Sierra, that's her name, uh, she needed the help really badly. And if we hadn't done this climb, I think she would have gone through with her abortion on Saturday. Uh, but it was a decision that I made to do it anyways, regardless of the news cycle, and just trusting in God that we would be able to help this woman. And, and thankfully, we did. And uh, we were so, able to save her baby from abortion. So how does it work? So you... you um you live stream the climb uh, on Instagram and it draws attention to the organization and you get people to donate because of the attention that is drawn to the, the larger cause by what you're doing. Is that basically the gist of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come on shows. I come on shows like yours and I talk about what I do. I talk about uh, abortion, too. And uh, it's, it's sort of like, how do I make what I do not about what I do and more about who I do it for? That's that's the goal, because at the end of the day, we want to try to get these news people to talk about abortion, to bring it into the media. And how do you do that? It's very hard when you have uh, an entire entire industry trying to cover something up. Uh, but turns out all you have to do is climb a skyscraper. Well, how did uh, the uh, members of uh, Chicago Police Department's SWAT team receive you when you summited the Accenture building? You know, there's some good cops and there's some bad cops. Along the way, there was someone banging on the glass. And I had told them, like, hey, guys, like, I'm trying to focus here. Like, please don't do that. <laughs> and they, uh, I heard through the okay. window, and I have it on video, they said, I don't care. Uh, that said, like I said, there's good ones and there's bad ones. When I got to the top, the police officers were very cordial, very nice. It wasn't like, hey, you're going right to jail. The first thing they say to me, are you okay? And they try to help in any way they can, of course. Uh, are you okay? Well, did like, you go to jail? It's not like, are you okay? Did you get injured? It's like, are you okay? What the hell is wrong with you? I think is what they meant by, are you okay? 
<laughs> oh no! It's, do you have any injuries? Do you need, do you need medical care? And uh, so I, I think there's some good guys. There's some bad guys, of course. That's with anybody, any any organization you deal with. Um, but I uh, very uh, very very wild ride. I'll, I'll just say that. Well, did they deem you, you know, a threat to the community, or did you get, you know, released because of the safety act? Yeah, the safety act comes in handy. The safety yeah. act. Yeah. Here's, Here's the funny thing. Here's the funny okay. thing. It is not actually against the law to climb a skyscraper. They're, they never thought of the law, right? So I usually get arrested on grounds of trespassing, which I have not committed because the way trespassing works, you have to be warned. And if you're 500 feet up a building, you can't really be warned. And so you have to act in your own safety to get to the top, in which case you leave right away. Uh, that said, what I tell people is that it is a, a commandment. Proverbs 24 says, rescue those who are being deaf. And so it is our duty to rescue these children who are being murdered because that baby that I saw sitting in that Ziploc container, she was one baby of 70 million that have been murdered in this country legally under the law by abortion. And so you know, we have to do these radical things to save these children. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't know. You're probably too young to remember him, but maybe, you know, just because of the precedent that was set. I mentioned Spider Dan. His name is Dan Goodwin. About in 40 years ago, he climbed the Sears Tower, 110 stories, despite strong winds and some interference from firefighters, actually. And he had a purpose, too. People forget the purpose, but his climb wasn't for sport. It was to draw attention to inadequacies in high-rise firefighting and rescue, seriously, because six months earlier, yeah. uh, he had witnessed a, a fire at the MGM Grand that killed 85 people. So, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, he, he made a spectacle of himself for a cause the way that, that you're doing, too. So it's it, different causes, but um, it's one way to get what, attention, I suppose. What I'll say about that is that is a, a completely silly idea that someone can climb a skyscraper to... Uh, be uh, essentially this firefighter. It, it takes a while to get up the building. Like this, the center tower took me almost an hour to climb. Uh, you know, the twin towers fell in about 20 minutes. I mean, that's just insane that you'd think that you could be this superhero and climb a climb a building to pull people out of a fire. And honestly, Spider-Man Dan Goodwin, uh, he doesn't impress me in his style of climbing. He was a great rock climber. Uh, separate from the skyscraper climbing. He used clamps and all sorts of devices ah, to get up the wall, sure. who I'm impressed by. And a lot of people in Chicago don't realize just how great of an achievement this was. But my great friend, Alain Robert, and the guy I kind of yeah. stole this idea from, he climbed the Sears Tower in 1999 with no clamps, no anything, just wow. his climbing shoes and a chalk bag. And... In my opinion, as someone who does this, that is the greatest athletic achievement of all time. All there right. is nothing right. that surpasses that because it's 1,700 feet of climbing with absolutely no rest. All right, let me see. Let me see about the all right. So the the free climber bias, I get it. No, I get it. Um, I watched that uh, documentary and the guy who free climbed El Capitan, and I I, I, mean, I couldn't I believe what I was watching. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but but but. Um, so what about, you know, we had a few years ago, we had Nick Walenda 
of the Walenda family, of course. He uh, walked across a wire from uh, Marina Tower to the Leo Burnett building. Uh, any uh, any uh, high-level uh, tightrope walking in your future? Oh, man, I've got to be honest. I, I've done some, it's called high line. I mean, it's like slack lining between two trees. It's not. It's a little different from tightrope, but same idea. I've done it across mountains before, and it is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it looks it's terrifying. Not my, my <laughs> <laughs> I get out there, and you, you're, you're sitting down on this on this line, right? And it starts bouncing, and it just you just never feel comfortable. And you, you have to stand up and get across it, and my heart just leaves my body. Well, um, I mean, is there any... Anything uh, in your future here? Maybe scaling John Fetterman or something? What, what, what do you, what's next for you? <laughs> well, what I say is so long as there are babies who need to be saved by abortion, then I will keep doing this. I don't like climbing skyscrapers, if I'm being honest. It doesn't, it's, it's not fun. It doesn't find, I don't find enjoyment in it. You have to go to jail usually afterwards and deal with courts. And it's just not the way to climb but i do it because we can save these children and i I tell people they always ask me like oh what if you fall what if what if this happens and i say look at these babies are being murdered and what you've been promised is by christ is eternal life so why are why are you scared of death why are you scared of falling why are you scared of being persecuted the only thing we should fear is god and the question he asks us, and that's, what did you do to save my children? Well, the name of your organization, again, the organization you climb for that uh, provides assistance to uh, pregnant women in need? Yes, so it's called LetThemLive.org. They are one of the best organizations that I've seen. And last year we were at 400 babies saved. This year we've doubled that number, and we save almost one baby every day. And so we're very thankful. Uh, I'm very thankful to them and the work they're doing. So if you guys want to go support me, you can go support them. All the money goes to the women, and that's all we ask, is that we can save a baby and and help a lady. Mason Deshaw, Pro-Life Spider-Man. Mason, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Stay safe up there. Yeah. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. With Dan and Amy on the AM560, The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, Mr. 10%, the big guy, President Biden, on 60 Minutes last night, uh, fielding softballs from Scott Pelley like this one. Um, Please, Mr. President, tell us why you should run again, uh, giving the big guy the chance to go full John Lennon. Are you sure that you want to run again? Yes, because I'm sure. Look, when I ran, I said the world's an inflection point. The world's changing, but we have an opportunity to make it. So imagine if we were able to succeed in getting the Middle East put in place where we have normalization of relations. I think we can do that. Imagine what happens if we, in fact, unite all of Europe and Putin is finally put down where he cannot 
cause the kind of trouble he's been causing. We have enormous opportunities. I imagine all the people. Um, oh yeah. Uh, how are those things going now in your first term, uh, the imagining? Um, the um, imagining also uh, with respect to the Middle East, since he brought it up. I mean, he had this to say in describing why Israel shouldn't, quote unquote, occupy Gaza after this. Listen to his characterization of Hamas. I think it'd be a big mistake. Look, what happened in Gaza, in my view, is Hamas and the extreme elements of Hamas don't represent all the Palestinian people. And uh, I think that uh, it would be a mistake to, uh, for Israel to occupy Gaza again. We did, but to going in and taking out the uh, the extremist, the uh, Hezbollah is up north, but Hamas down south is a necessary requirement. Uh-huh. Are, are there moderate elements of Hamas? The extremist elements of Hamas. Which are the moderate elements? No, that follow-up was not asked, unsurprisingly. But when asked about Iran, were they involved in this? Because that's what everyone wants to know. Who's funding Hamas? Don't. Don't. Don't, don't. Don't come across the border. Don't escalate this war. That's right. Is Iran behind the Gaza war? I don't want to get into classified information, but to be very blunt with you, there is no clear evidence of that. At this point, no evidence that Iran is behind any of this. Correct. Now, Iran constantly supports Hamas and Hezbollah. I don't mean that. But in terms of where they... Did they have foreknowledge? Did they help plan the attack? They, they, there's, there's no evidence of that at this point. No, of course. No, uh, listen, to, of both sides li- of his mouth. listen to the moderate elements of Hamas. I, I guess this is uh, who Joe Biden would call a moderate element of Hamas. One of the spokeshumans for Hamas, Dr. Ghazi Hamid, getting a very friendly interview from a CNN reporter. Well, Actually, he's uh, the Jerusalem reporter for Al Jazeera, but he was on CNN on Face the Nation to offer this uh, friendly interview of a Hamas spokeshuman who uh, said this. This must be what Joe Biden is relying on. Did you receive support from outside? Did you receive no. support from No, it is just a decision taken by Hamas only. You received no support from any, no. any country outside no, of Gaza? No, 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 never. Yeah, I mean, and if you can't believe a Hamas spokesman, who can you who can you believe, right? For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Cliff May, president of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Cliff, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Could you help uh, uh, me, because I, I'm just not familiar with the moderate elements in Hamas. Could you identify those for me and the president? Yeah, there are no moderate elements in Hamas. Of course, that's not true. All you have to do is read the Hamas charter. The Hamas, Hamas charter talks about very clearly about the genocide of Israelis, the genocide of Jews. It doesn't, it's not coy at all. Uh, Hamas has said always since its creation in the 1980s that there can be no negotiation, that the only solution to what they call the Israel problem, the Jewish problem, is is wiping them out, is uh, uh, Palestine must be free, meaning Jew-free, from the river to the sea, meaning from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. And uh, Hamas has been backed, uh, of course, by the Islamic Republic uh, of Iran, and lavishly so, particularly over the last few years, I have to say, because since President Biden came into office, 
um, the Islamic Republic of Iran has has gone from a, a very impoverished state to a fair, to a fairly wealthy state, and that's because sanctions weren't maintained or sanctions weren't enforced. So I, I can give you a lot more about that, um, but there's no question that Hezbollah, which is absolutely the, the Lebanon-based foreign legion of Tehran, and Hamas, which is very much the client of uh, of, of Iran, they all, all three work together. All three meet together in Beirut, uh, and we know that training, weapons, money, and probably plans, and maybe participation. I can tell you why. I think that in a, an operation like this had a lot of a lot of involvement from Tehran. Yeah, so it's difficult to imagine this uh, Middle East peace that uh, President Biden is talking about when he won't speak honestly about the collaborators involved in the terrorist attack in Gaza. Um, what about what about that larger question and his point? I know that Israel shouldn't essentially uh, retain control of Gaza after whatever uh, comes uh, post invasion. Yeah. Um, what, what, what yeah. should, what should Israel do vis-a-vis Gaza, uh, yeah. if and when they eradicate Hamas? Yeah. Uh, the Israelis left Gaza a hundred percent in 2005. Every soldier, every farmer, every, uh, grave, every synagogue was removed. And after they withdrew entirely and said, okay, the problem was the occupation. There's no occupation. What was said by, <laughs> by Hamas and by others. We're still being occupied. How are they still being occupied? After a couple of years of getting attacked, they tried unsuccessfully, that we now know, to keep weapons from getting into Gaza. But food went in, medicine went in, electricity has been and is still being supplied from Israel, all of the above. The Israelis do not want to occupy Gaza for any length of time. They are going in because they intend to diminish and actually destroy the military capabilities um, of Hamas to, to, to kill their leaders or capture them. If they capture them, they'll sit in prisons. I don't think they'll be executed. Israelis don't execute. They executed Eichmann back in the 1960s, the Nazi war criminal. In general, they don't. If, if, if Hamas would simply surrender, that would be the end of this war. That's all they have to do is come out, wave a little white flag. They'd be taken into custody. Their daughters wouldn't be raped. Their sons wouldn't be killed. The Emperor Hirohito was able to uh, to surrender to save his people. But that, that we, we can't expect Hamas to do that. So what happens? It's not entirely clear. This, this, this thing we talk about constantly called the international community. Um, there are all these Arab states that have funded Hamas, that have funded the Palestinians, and there's the Europeans who have funded either directly or indirectly Hamas. They can, there's a way, put them in there, put the technocrats in there, begin to reestablish some kind of basic economy, but Hamas cannot rule anymore. The Israelis, no, they made a mistake by thinking they can rule. It doesn't matter. Every few years they attack us. We go in, we mow the lawn, then we leave. It'll all be okay. That, that, that's not going to happen again. But no, Israeli troops do not want to be a year from now patrolling the streets of Gaza. Well, wait, lost in this conversation are the hostages. I mean, we have 30 Americans that are dead 13 Americans who are unaccounted for. And over the weekend, President Biden even called um, the family of a, a woman. Her, her, She's from Evanston. She and her daughter are hostages. They have confirmation of that. But what is Biden going to do? I mean, he said on 60 Minutes, he said, I'll help out anyway if we can find them. Yeah, what that, what that suggests is he doesn't have intelligence as to where they are or whether they're alive. I haven't seen signs of life. That's the other thing that Hamas could do. You want to end this war? 
people who are saying the plight of the Palestinians and so hard for the Palestinians, if Hamas would release the hostages, just that, the Israelis would hesitate. They would give them pause. If they'd release the hostages and say, we're not fighting anymore. The war we started, we're not fighting. We surrender. That would be it. Totally so, it. It so, be so, that's, so, so that's not, so that's not going to happen. And so then the question becomes, uh, is Hamas expecting and should we be expecting escalation with Hezbollah's formal involvement, Hezbollah with a much bigger uh, cache of weapons than Hamas? Yes, and the Israelis are wondering about that, too. And I'm probably wondering about that in Tehran. As I said, Hezbollah is the foreign legion, Lebanon based, so also in Syria, also in Iraq, other places, of the mullahs in Tehran. And they don't want to waste that resource. They want to utilize that resource. For one thing, that resource is a conventional deterrent to Israel if Israel would, were to come in and either try to destroy the nuclear weapons facilities that have been building up or to decapitate the regime. It, it's an interesting thing that Hezbollah didn't attack immediately at the same time as the uh, offensive that came from Gaza, uh, a surprise two-front war. Um, but it's possible that if the Israelis go in on, on, on foot into Gaza in strength, that at that point Hezbollah would attack. And the Israelis have to worry about that because the Israeli infantry gets enmeshed inside Gaza, and there's a war with a, a much more potent, a much more uh, powerful enemy in the north. It's not so easy to get those troops out and bring them up to the north in a timely fashion. So this is what uh, the military planners of the uh, Israeli war cabinet have to figure out. Uh, and part of the uh, problem, it seems to me, in terms of like recognizing what we're dealing with here, is this um, uh, bromide that's bandied about that suggests that, look, um, the Palestinians are peace-loving people. And Hamas is not representative of them. Well, actually, technically, Hamas is representative of them because Hamas controlled Gaza, and that was what the Palestinian people chose. And I'm not saying every Palestinian person is a member of that terrorist organization or supports them. But, you know, from public opinion polling, Hamas seemed to enjoy widespread support among the Palestinians in Gaza. Yes, that's right. They, 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 Hamas was voted in, but it was one man, one vote, one time. That, that was, you know, back in 2007, I believe it was. And they haven't, there's been no votes since. But the polls do show support. Part of the reason for that support is that the, Hamas would attack Israel and Israel would respond very, very carefully. They would tr try very hard. They still do not to uh not not to harm civilians so before bombing a building where command and control was they would both call people in that building they would drop leaflets they would drop dummy bombs on the roof they would say get out of that building because we're going to destroy it uh, the people in gaza who were being indoctrinated with jew hatred and israel hatred could say all right listen it's inconvenient our life goes on but at least we're you know but hamas does fight them this it could be different this time it's pretty hard to conduct a poll at this time but if the economy and the life of, in Gaza is totally destroyed because of Hamas's attack, they may change their mind. But who knows? Right now, it's very simple. Israel is saying is right now he's focusing in the north. They're saying to the people in the north, just head south. We don't want you to be hit. Hamas is saying, no, no, you stay put. We want you, and essentially they're saying, we want you to get hit. Your corpses will be very useful to us for public relations purposes. But anybody who doesn't want to fight Israel goes to the south. Even better, they should cross over into Egypt. Sinai is a big place. Uh, the UN, uh, UN agencies, particularly UNRWA, which deals with nothing but what they call refugee, Palestinian refugees, put up some tent camps. 
feed them, take care of them, give them medical help, and they wait out the war. Egypt doesn't want them to do that. Hamas doesn't want them to do that. Hamas wants them to stay. Hamas needs human shields. And people should understand the use of the human shield is a war crime under international law, under American law specifically. If every time a human shield is used, you blame the Israelis rather than Hamas, you're encouraging the use of human shields. People need to understand that. Uh, Domestically, we have a difference of opinion between the two parties in Congress over Palestinian refugees. Uh, Democrats want to provide um, sanctuary in the United States for Palestinian refugees, and House Republicans and Senate Republicans, too, like Marco Rubio, are leading the charge against that. We want to be a welcoming place to feeling to people fleeing persecution. But as you say, is that that's the right posture? That that's your viewpoint that Egypt should be the uh, point of sanctuary for Palestinian refugees. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, we do need to secure our border, yeah, well, and I don't that. think this is a good time for additional. Uh, and it, it's, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal. I commend your readers by two of my people at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. The yes, the re, the refugees don't want to go back to Gaza. I don't. They may want to. But why shouldn't they? they? But if they don't want to, they can stay in Egypt. Or how about they go to the various countries that have contributed to this terrible situation over the years by supporting Hamas? How about some of them go to Algeria? How about some of them go? How about they go to Iran, which is the key? Uh, instigator of all this and has been for years. Iran can't take him in. Why not? How about they go to Qatar, which, which where Hamas leaders live in luxurious hotels? That would be good. How about Kuwait? There's a lot of places they can go in the Middle East. People speak the same language they do, uh, have the same culture and religion as they do. There's no need for them to come to the United States. They can go back to Gaza, let, let, where they can be taken care of once. They have somebody taking care of them whose primary concern is not killing Jews, but the well-being of the people of Gaza. That could happen. It is not for America to pick pick up the pieces. He is Cliff May, the president of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Cliff, thank you as always. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day. Then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. A little uh, stop, look, and listen on... uh, Electric vehicle sales, since uh, that's all the rage among the uh, industrial policy types on the left. Uh, Ace of Spades had a good write-up on this. The EV transition has stalled out, and except for Tesla, EV manufacturers are seeing their growth fall. In some cases, sales are collapsing. Take Ford. Sales of the F-150 Lightning electric pickup were off about 46% during third quarter. Due to slower-than-expected demand and downtime at the plant, reported CNBC earlier this month, Ford sold just 6,400 round numbers, F-150 Lightning EVs, in the third quarter of 2022, but sales in Q3 of 2023 fell to 3,500, which annualizes to only about 42,000 a year, but Ford executives are still presenting at, at like they're going to sell hundreds of thousands of EVs, EV pickups per year. That doesn't seem to be what demand is indicating. 
As for downtime at the plant affecting sales, um, Ford dealers are currently choking down a 97-day supply of Lightnings nationwide uh, when the ideal supply of vehicles on dealer lots is 60 days worth. Meanwhile, Ford has suddenly canceled all further deliveries to dealers of 2023 model year F-150 Lightnings that are not already pre-sold. Uh, Ace of Spades translates, what would have been year model 2023 electric pickups are now going to be year model 2024 electric pickups after these additional quality checks they're speaking of generically to ensure there's not a glut of unsold prior year model lightnings in 2024. There's still going to be a glut, but the dealers will be at least be, but at least dealers will be sitting on a glut of year model 2024 as opposed to 2023. Also, with demand for EVs collapsing, there's also de- decreasing demand for the lithium-ion batteries that propel them. Uh-oh, don't tell the Chicoms locating to Mantino. Um, so um, what of all these um, grand demands of politicians at the federal and the state level, Gavin Newsom, J.B. Pritzker, that you shall... Uh, sell these many and we shall transition from fossil fuel burning vehicles by x date for a more on this and other matters economic we're pleased to be joined again by john tamney editor of realclearmarkets.com director of the center for economic freedom at freedomworks and author of the money confusion how illiteracy about currencies and inflation sets the stage for the crypto revolution john thanks for joining us appreciate it uh, breaking Can you hear up. us okay? Can we have John there in a clear line? Yes. Uh, there we go. John? <clears throat> yep. Okay, good. Um, so um, what about uh, the EV revolution? It uh, seems to have hit a wall. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, markets seem to think there's something to it. Uh, Tesla, I think, is still the most valuable car company in the world, which could be an indication that electric cars will gradually win the hearts of consumers, or it could be that what Tesla is going to do ultimately is going to uh, spread across all sorts of different consumer lines. Think Amazon. Amazon began as a book company, yeah. uh, but became something much more. And so it appears there's something to it. Obviously, you and I in our perfect world, the, the government wouldn't be trying to put its thumb on the scales, uh, let people decide to drive the streets. It's apparent that people People really like these cars. I've rented them a lot. I find them a bit difficult because they're difficult to find chargers for. Mm-hmm. But, you know. You know um, what you need? You know what you need on the charger thing, John? I got the solution for that next time you uh, rent one. What? Is uh, get one of Jennifer uh, Granholm's uh, staffers to drive ahead of you to reserve the charger so you don't have to wait in line with the rest of the hoi polloi. Yeah, no, that, that would certainly help. And so, you know, I think there's something. To, Elon Musk is brilliant. And you, you can't say that he's just a crony capitalist because, as you note, lots of car companies have gotten into this, too, and they haven't seen the bump in their stock prices. And so there's got to be something to it. Uh, what it is, I don't know. At least as of now, they're, they're, they're kind of difficult to, to own if you want to drive a lot. You well, know, I remember I, I when got, Americans used to have a choice. Remember that back in the day where we as consumers could choose what we wanted? 
Yes, and, and I, get, I get the feeling uh, you're not going to take gasoline-powered cars out of the hands of Americans. I, 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 we've, I've seen, as you have, all the decrees that it's going to happen. Americans like their cars. Uh, good luck to that. Uh, they've been making decrees about all sorts of things for as long as we've been alive. Um, I don't think electric will, will replace. If anything, we're going to see more gasoline-powered cars alongside lots of electric, but we'll see. I've I've got an idea, maybe Ford. I'm not, and I'm not looking for a job, but you know, maybe a, uh, just to help the CMO there at Ford, um, get uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift to endorse the EVs, because the the people seem to have fallen in love with those two falling in love. It's our new think? royalty. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great world we live in when we get to focus on these things. We must be a rich country, and we should exactly. Be well, I mean, you know, I just I, I don't even think that endorsement I, would help. I just, I just hope it's not infatuation. I hope it's the real thing for those two. You know what I mean, John? We don't need to be hard-hearted economists about this. Um, all right. Um, on other matters, um, you wrote an interesting piece, a little bit counterintuitive, as you're wont to be, that uh, this chaos on the border that has been uh, well-documented um, is actually a sign of America's strength. Explain. Well, let's look at a couple of things. No one's lining up to get into Haiti. No one's lining up to get into Peru or uh, Honduras. Uh, people risk their lives to get here because this is where the opportunity is. Uh, if you look back to 2020, the border was empty. If you look back to 2009 to 2014, when the economy was weak, uh, more people crossed back south of the border than, than came in. And so what we see is when the U.S. is booming, uh, people risk everything to get here. Uh, to me, the border is just an obvious thing. When you try to centrally plan what is a market phenomenon, you get chaos. Uh, we've seen that throughout our lives. Nothing new here. Regardless of one's view of immigration or whether there should be a wall or not, let's not deny what that is at the border. That's government trying to centrally plan a market phenomenon. They're coming here for work, obviously. Uh, and how we know that is they don't come here when the economy's weak. Well, I mean, it's a mixed bag. Uh, when you have two million people uh, apprehended at the border, you've got a mixed bag. You have some people that want opportunity. You have some people that may have less admirable motivations, as we've seen with the incidents of criminal activity, for example. So it's a mixed bag. Uh, yeah. Well, of course it is. And so in my perfect world, there would just be a, a, an agreement that people have to announce themselves along the way. And then at which point those who don't announce themselves would be more obvious. You could pick them out. You could pick out the people who are trying to hide their arrival. Um, imagine if market for imagine if work were legalized here, the border wouldn't be crowded in the first place because employers around the U.S. would be flying the, the workers and they'd be bringing them in by train. They'd be bringing them in all sorts of ways that they can't do it now. Uh, but until we recognize that you can't solve an immigrant, if you think immigration is a problem, the only way to fix it is to crush the economy. And so until we do that, and Americans aren't, thankfully aren't willing to do that, people are going to risk it all to get here. I find that a beautiful thing. I find that a happy story. Other people feel differently, but let's not deny what this is. This is central planning of what is a market phenomenon. Well, well, in part, but I mean, you can, I mean, you're not saying you can't have a robust economy and continue to be the, the global economic superpower and also have a secure border. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. 
I'm not saying that at all. Uh, Why not have a border? But once you try to limit the flow of people to where there's opportunity, you're not going to have a secure border. As in the quickest way to secure the border is to legalize what's obvious. U.S. is abundantly full of opportunity, and people are going to keep risking their lives to get there until until we recognize this. Now, think about it if we legalized work. Would people be bringing grandma? Uh, would they be bringing mother? Would they bring in the kids? No. They're coming here for jobs. If you legalized the process whereby people could come in, they wouldn't bring the whole family. And so you wouldn't have all these externalities that we have. And, but we're never going to see that because both sides – it's political gold to politicize this, this migration of people. And so both sides will continue to take either side of it and we'll never solve it. Well, do you think there's a possibility that, you know, blue state and blue state governors are taking in all these illegals because they need to increase their base? Because you look at all the blue states and people have moved out by the tens of thousands. Well, I think for one, how do they need to increase their base? So what, what are, is suddenly California going to go red if, if we close the border? I mean, please. Secondly, they're not legal to vote in the first place. Third, they don't even want to vote. They're here for jobs. And we know that. Again, don't t- were the borders full of people in 2020 when, when Republicans locked down the economy, when Donald Trump said that we're going to lock down the U.S.? No, well, because there was no opportunity here, because people were losing their jobs by the tens of millions. When Obama was president and he was overseeing a slow economy, the border was similarly empty. We have the, the border is full when the economy is growing. Uh, this is the land of opportunity. We either have to accept that truth or we can go the other way. Um, you wrote recently about um, the Egyptian magi- magician Bob Menendez, uh, <laughs> that he is a, a symptom of a larger problem in D.C. I mean, he's allegedly a symptom, of course, because he hasn't been convicted of anything. But um, his uh, represent him and his wife alleged to have represented the Egyptian government and uh, essentially acting as a Manchurian lobbyist for the Egyptian government, failing to disclose that he was doing so. So what is that a symptom of in D.C.? Um, It's a symptom of the longer you serve in D.C., the better you get at politics, the better you get at moving money around, the better you get at moving influence around. And so to me, the the easy solution, I don't think it will solve everything, is to limit time in office. Uh, Bob Menendez couldn't have become uh, the the, the paid-for guy by Egypt in his first term as senator. He became valuable to countries like Egypt as his time in Washington grew, and he learned how to basically orchestrate things in Washington. And so my answer is always um, make sure these guys are here for a brief time so that they can get back to the real world. If so, they don't develop the skills that make them attractive to those who want to ply them with money. Um, You also wrote another relatively counterintuitive piece about um, federal – federal largesse, federal waste, um, suggesting that um, maybe there is an upside. You know, we just got through this, uh, you know, government shutdown theater uh, not so long ago, um, which we do routinely, you know, once every other year or so. Um, And um, you uh, you suggest that, you know, all of this uh, money wasted by the federal government for many, 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 many generations, there's an upside to it. What's that? 
Well, the upside is, and to be clear, I don't like Social Security as a bad idea. I think Medicare was a horrifying idea. But I always hear from the libertarians on my side, isn't it awful? Oh, my gosh. Some, now just the interest on the debt alone is going to be $1.1 trillion or $1.5 trillion. Well, okay, perfect. So we've failed miserably twice with Social Security and, and Medicare, and we're paying it off. That means there's fewer dollars for them to dream up other new horrible ideas domestically <laughs> and globally. And so I don't like it. But when I hear people say, oh, well, isn't this terrible? The debt's going to swallow the federal budget. Well, that's kind of a good thing, right? If they're paying off debtors rather than dreaming up new programs, wouldn't we prefer that? Because we know the new programs will be disastrous and grow and grow and grow. If this is a barrier to them intervening and ruining our lives, let's, let's have the barrier. Yeah, but aren't you forgetting about the printing press? I'm not forgetting about the printing press because the printing press is a popular thing that people say, oh, yeah, they're just printing money. But why haven't we seen the dollar collapse? based on that. Because no one believes it. The dollar is the world's currency. Does it, is it perfect? No. In my perfect world, the dollar would have a gold definition or some kind of stable currency definition. But as evidenced by the fact that the world uses the dollar as its currency, as evidenced by the fact that lenders around the world line up to lend to the United States, no one expects the U.S. to, to use the printing press. Because if they did, markets aren't stupid. No one would buy U.S. debt. And so um, what's your reaction to those who worry about uh, this debt load that we're carrying, both in terms of actual and unfunded liabilities, uh, and that makes us susceptible to be, uh, to be to, for the dollar to be replaced by the BRICs who are trying to cook up their own global reserve currency? Well, there's no evidence of it right now, and, and I think the evidence supporting that is all the debt. If we had a debt problem, we wouldn't have a lot of debt. What we have is a too much revenue problem, which, as you know from any business or government, a business or government or individual known to have a lot of money or to be taking in a lot of money can run up lots of debt. And so if you want to fix the debt, you don't do it as the idiot supply side are saying, say, hey, Laffer curve, that just gives more revenue to the government. And you don't do what the left-wing Democrats say, hey, we need to raise taxes. What you need is less revenue so that they can borrow less less. It's kind of a basic thing. And I, I, I find it so frustrating that people on my side keep saying, look at the burden we're leaving to the grandchildren, the debt. Have they lost their minds? The burden is not the debt. The true burden on the grandchildren is the size of the government they're going to inherit. I don't want a balanced budget. I just want shrinking government. And so that's the true burden we're leaving them, yet no one talks about them. There's this horror of government spending that's out there that we could vivify so easily. But the people on our side instead focus on deficits that markets plainly don't care about. And how we know they don't care about it is investors around the world line up to buy the, buy the debt. John Tamney is the editor of RealClearMarkets.com, president of the Parkview Institute, senior economic advisor to Applied Finance Advisors. His latest book, The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution. John, thanks as always. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. AM 560, The Answer. 
Dan, do you want me to send some pictures of Justin's wedding? Oh, please. I have the slideshow. Yes. I, I want to look at it in my free time. <laughs> we did have fun, though. So thanks so much for all your support, even though we, you weren't there. We felt your presence. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, well, that's, I, I try. I yes. try to provide uh, psychic support if I can't be there. Thanks to George Hoffman, who's in for Justin Kosick this week, and to Because Quinn he's McCarthy. on his honeymoon. Oh, Cute. so sweet. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast, sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 773- Four six seven five six hundred to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.